0: Breaking news this morning, Donald Trump's poll numbers were getting a little too high. So the Biden administration is indicting him again. This one is different though. This time they are not indicting Trump over his souvenir boxes from the White House or over an in-kind campaign contribution that he made to himself or over some crazy lady who fantasized about him ravishing her in Bergdorf Goodman's. This time the feds are bringing out the big guns. They're indicting Trump over his role in January 6th, the worst day in the history of this or any republic. Trump has responded to the indictment with characteristic aplomb, truthing. We didn't tweet it, he truthed it. Wow. All caps. Wow. On Sunday night, while I was with my family, having just arrived from the Turning Point event in Florida, where I saw the straw, where I won the straw poll against all other Republican candidates with 85.7%, with all polls showing me leading in the Republican primary by very substantial numbers, almost everyone predicting that I will be the Republican nominee for president. What a parenthetical. Trump, the king of parentheticals, Uh, and as I am leading Democrat Joe Biden in the polls by a lot, horrifying news for our country was given to me by my attorneys, deranged Jack Smith the prosecutor with Joe Biden's DOJ sent a letter, parentheses, again, it was Sunday night, stating that I am a target of the January 6th grand jury investigation and giving me a very short four days to report to the grand jury, which almost always means an arrest and indictment. Then it goes on. I actually only read a small portion of this, of this truth statement. Uh, it's great. Strongly encourage you to go read the whole thing. It's at the very least quite entertaining. So now we wait, not only on this indictment, but on the next one and the one after that and the one after that and the dozens and dozens that the Democrats have prepared for Trump until he breathes his last breath, after which they will dig up his corpse and indict him again. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Quite a lot to get to today, not just in the Republican primary, but in the Democrat primary. You've now got the White House referring to the biggest threat to Joe Biden in the Democrat Party. That would be Bobby Kennedy Jr., calling him vile. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, though, Of all the crazy indictments and investigations and accusations against Trump, this one is the craziest one. This one is the least defensible. This is less defensible than the Russia hoax. This is less defensible than the Ukraine hoax. This is less defensible than the supposed porn star payment, which is just an in-kind contribution to his own campaign, which is not a crime at all. It's totally acceptable. Uh, This is crazier even than the Bergdorf Goodman lady, that gossip columnist who kept on inventing news stories about how Trump ravished her in a department store. This one is crazier because Trump's actions on January 6th, whatever you think of them, you might think they were irresponsible. You might think they were stupid. You might think they were self-defeating. You might think they were immoral even. They're not without precedent in American history. And when it comes to politics, they're more justified than many other Trump actions because there were legitimate questions about the 2020 election. And if you ask me, there remain legitimate questions. It's quite clear that the Democrats changed the voting rules in the run up to the election in order to disadvantage Donald Trump. In some cases, they did so in contravention of the law and contravention of state constitutions, as in the case of Pennsylvania. It was a hotly contested election. The very fact that the voting numbers were so radically different from any election that we'd seen before it, right? People people say, Joe Biden won with 81 million votes. Well, that's that's 10 million more votes than the the last highest number. How on earth did we get to that? Well, because in this election, we had widespread mail-in voting. We had widespread unsolicited mail-in ballots sent out. We had widespread ballot harvesting. We had All sorts of things that you hadn't seen previously. So there were all sorts of questions about the election. The last time we saw an election that was this hotly contested was 1876. What happened in 1876? That was the election between Rutherford B. Hayes, the Republican, and Sam Tilden, the Democrat. And there were all sorts of questions about the election and whether or not every ballot that was cast was legit. And in some cases, people were prevented from having their ballots counted. In in the case of 2020, we're talking about ballots stuffed in lockers in Michigan. We're talking about pipes bursting during the vote count, the vote count that dragged on for days and days and weeks and weeks. In the case of 1876, we're talking about people being turned away at the polls. We're talking about political violence at the polls. In any case- you had this debate. People insisted that Sam Tilden won. Sam Tilden, I think, incontrovertibly outpolled Rutherford B. Hayes at the popular vote level, though that doesn't necessarily matter. But Rutherford B. Hayes was holding on to the count by one vote. So what did they do? They did something not totally dissimilar from what you saw on January 6th, the worst day ever, which is they held up the vote count. And then in in 1876, unlike in 2020, the the Republicans and the Democrats went into a back room, struck a deal. This was called the Compromise, the Bargain of of 1876. And they said, okay, we'll give the Republicans the presidency, but the Republicans need to pull out of the South for Reconstruction. And that was a deal acceptable to both parties. Where do you find that method in the Constitution? Where do you find that method in U.S. Code? You don't. It was just a a deal struck because you were in this this really hot moment that didn't seem to be accommodated for in the law. A uh, similar thing went on in 2020. We'd never seen a global pandemic that changed all the voting rules, that shut down the vote counts, that created widespread mail in ballots. It was after you had the deep state, after you had the political apparatchiks for the opposing party come in and for four years consistently try to illegally undermine the sitting president. Uh, we didn't have that kind of deal. So, anyway, Trump held his rally. It didn't work out, obviously. It didn't work out as a matter of maintaining the presidency. It didn't work out as a matter of political optics, but to suggest that that is somehow an egregious, unprecedented, totally politically unheard of uh, uh, thing to do is just crazy. And the Democrats now, because they won optically, because they won. Practically, in terms of holding the White House, they are never going to stop punishing this guy. And it's, and it's always about January 6th. Because what it's really always about is the fact that Trump won in the first place, which he wasn't supposed to do. And they rigged the 2016 election using the DOJ and the FBI to, to rig it against him. He somehow miraculously squeaked through. And they're, they're never going to forgive him for that. And they're never going to let up. So our political order gets a little wonkier. And when, when things go out of whack in the political order, you're probably going to want to have some tangible assets. You're probably going to want to check out Birch Gold. Right now, text Knowles to 98.9898. 98, 98. We are days away from the Durban Accords, the greatest threat to the U.S. dollar's global dominance in the past 80 years. On August 22nd, BRICS nations, that's Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, are expected to announce the launch of a new international supercurrency, Fully backed by gold or other commodities. This is part of their long term plan to supplant the US and the dollar as cornerstones of the global financial system. How can you protect your IRA or 401k from the fallout from this landmark announcement? Now is the time to diversify with gold from Birch Gold. Historically, gold has been a safe haven in times of high uncertainty. That would be right now. When currencies fail, gold is a safe haven. How much more time does the dollar have? Protect your savings with gold. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Thousands of happy customers. Text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. 98 98. Get your free info kit on gold. If a central bank digital currency becomes a reality, it will be nice to have some gold to depend on. Again, text Knowles, Canada WLES, to 989898. 98 98. The number two guy in the Republican race, Ron DeSantis, responded on the fly to this news that Trump is being indicted yet again by the Biden administration. Here's his answer. I think what we've seen in this country is an attempt to criminalize politics and to try to criminalize differences. So I don't know what was all about that, but I but I do know that we look at institutions, unfortunately, like our own FBI and Department of Justice, and we've seen the politicization of those institutions. Uh, we've seen them be, be weaponized against Americans. Uh, Pro-life activists can have the SWAT team come at him. Meanwhile, Hunter Biden, he would have been in jail if he were a Republican, and we all know that. So so that's, I think, been a frustration to see uh, how that is wielded. So I can't speak about that because I haven't seen it. But I can tell you one of my uh, jobs as president will be to end the weaponization of these agencies, and I will get that job done. We will make it happen. This is a good answer. He's in an impossible spot, and he gave a good answer. And the best part of the answer is that first part of it, when he says, they're trying to criminalize politics. They're trying to say that now, if you dispute the results of an election, something that they have done without justification for decades, if you, with great justification in an election where they changed all the rules right away, if if you dispute that, you 're committing a, a, a treasonous act, and you need to be put away forever and we 're going to get you six ways from sunday and he 's saying that, that if if you disagree now with some fashionable new ideology that 's cropped up you know the kind that we 're not allowed to talk about on big tech uh, that you 're committing uh, a crime against humanity, you need to be censored, you need to be ostracized, you, you need to be kicked out of society he 's saying this is a big problem, and it 's not just about trump you 're seeing the FBI show up and surveil Catholic masses. You're seeing parents described as domestic terrorists. You're seeing pro-lifers have their doors kicked in almost and have their seven kids watch daddy get arrested because he, he opposes abortion and infanticide. It's the criminalization of ordinary, reasonable political disputes. Really perfectly good answer. And yet, it's not a good answer for DeSantis because no matter how he answers this thing, Trump is the center of attention. And this is always the uphill slog for DeSantis. It's why I've said from the beginning, DeSantis is a smart guy. I like him personally. I don't know him very well, but in as much as I do know him personally, I think he's a really great guy. I think he's been a terrific governor of Florida. I think he very likely could be a very good president. The uphill slog for him here is the election is about Trump. And sometimes you'll hear people on the right, they'll say, well, do we really want this election to be about Trump? Well, I I don't really care what you want. It just is. Because in war and in politics, your enemy has a say. And the enemy and the opponents are making this about Donald Trump. They're going to indict him. They are indicting him. It's happening right now. And so it is about him. Are we going to allow the leader of the opposition to be just indicted and thrown in prison in America? Oh, we're not? Then I guess we have to defend him. If we're going to defend him, then the election's about him. And you might pull your hair out. And you might say, but it's not fair, and it's not right, and it's not how it should be. Well, okay, sorry. <laughs> you know, that's politics, man. You, you don't get to set all of the rules. That, that's, that's one of the real tricks of politics and war is you've got to respond with prudence to the circumstances that are sometimes affected by the moves that your opponents make as well. It's a really tricky spot. So, how can DeSantis thread it? He's threading it as well as he possibly can now, but even making every smart move and saying every smart thing and writing just about every smart policy, Trump remains dominant in the polls and this indictment is going to probably boost him up in the polls even more. Think about all the great stuff that DeSantis has done. I'm just I'm just adding to the tragedy of <laughs> of, of what and when I say political tragedy, I don't, I don't just mean something that's sort of unfortunate or, or disadvantageous or something like that. I mean that the seeds of destruction were built in from the beginning. I mean a tragedy in the Shakespearean sense. I mean tragedy in the classical sense here. Here's another great, great thing that came out of DeSantis. DeSantis, you know, has been going after the, the woke school administrators. And so this is Florida State Board that is allied with Governor DeSantis And it just blocked the appointment of a university president at Florida Atlantic University. Florida Atlantic University wanted to hire this woke Navy guy who's got a long history of supporting woke politics and and all sorts of crazy liberalism. The, The board shut down the appointment of that potential university president. So you're seeing not only the right political vision, but you're seeing people wielding that political power in real time, actually getting stuff done. Man, Isn't that great? And yet, you're not seeing DeSantis get any credit for that in the polls, and very likely you won't, at least unless something radically changes in the election. So a lot of people are saying, all right, if if," this is among the DeSantis supporters, they'll say if DeSantis isn't going to be the president, maybe he could be the VP pick. But I think we all know that's not going to happen. These are two top dogs. These guys are not playing nicely with one another. They are going head to head the primary is going to get even more bruising as things go on. And so Trump's not going to pick DeSantis to be VP. And DeSantis probably wouldn't want to be Trump's VP. These guys are both going for the top job. So where does that leave us? I've got one crazy suggestion. DeSantis could still be the the GOP nominee. I'm not saying it couldn't happen. He's he's still got a decent enough shot at it. Trump might get indicted. I don't know. Trump might, God forbid, fall down the stairs or something. So he might he might fall away as the number one guy. But if things keep up as they are, and Trump is the nominee, and if Trump somehow manages to make it through and become the president again, what if DeSantis were the chief of staff? It seems crazy. I know you said to, Why would Ron DeSantis want to be the chief of staff? Well, because DeSantis is clearly a policy wonk. DeSantis is clearly good at pulling the levers of power, getting things done, sometimes behind the scenes. These are things that Trump is not necessarily interested in. Trump is a world historic figure. Trump likes the big picture. Trump likes the cameras. Trump likes talking. Trump doesn't always like the the details and the minutiae of the personnel decisions. Trump doesn't always like the details and minutiae of the policy decisions. And so what if you had a President Trump and a White House Chief of Staff, Ron DeSantis? White House Chief of Staff, in many ways, is the most powerful person in the world most powerful person in Washington, and therefore in the whole world. Working on all those little, the personnel, the minutiae, the policy. It's not unheard of. We've had governors who have served as White House chief of staff before, including after they were governor. Uh, Sherman Adams was the chief of staff to Eisenhower. He was a governor of New Hampshire. John Sununu for George H.W. Bush, he was governor of New Hampshire. Then he became White House chief of staff. I'm just throwing this out there as a possible outcome. Because a lot of people are saying, well, look, Trump is today likely going to be the nominee and I I would support Trump. And probably the people who are supporting DeSantis now would come over and vote for Trump again. It's not totally clear that people who would vote for Trump would vote for DeSantis. And so, okay, let's say it's gonna be Trump. Let's just say it. Let's just just go with that hypothetical. You don't wanna lose DeSantis. DeSantis is a really great political talent. What could you do? Is is there any way for these two guys to work together? That's just my suggestion. I'm throwing it out there. Campaigns take it for what it's worth. Now, speaking of a potential Trump administration, New York Times is reporting, terrified, horrified, that if Trump did manage to make it into office again, he wants to expand the powers of the president. Here we go. Generalissimo, Donald Trumpo, here we go, the authoritarian, autocratic fascist. He wants to expand presidential powers. The Times says they're citing campaign policy proposals and interviews of people close to Trump. Trump wants to bring independent agencies like the FCC, the FTC, the Communications Commission, the Trade Commission, under direct presidential control, take away some of their independence, he wants to revive the practice of impounding funds meaning to refuse to spend money that Congress has appropriated for certain programs and supposedly independent agencies. And he he wants to make the presidency really strong and powerful again. And if this proposal came out 10 years ago, if this were an Obama proposal, you know, all of the Republicans and especially the conservative Republicans, the Tea Party types, they would be throwing a fit about this. They say no, we want less presidential power. That was for much of my lifetime, that was what the Republicans said they wanted. We want less presidential power. Now, the conservatives are saying we want more presidential power. What changed? Well, one, the libertarians have lost some of their sway at the elite levels of the GOP, and the traditional conservatives have gained more sway. The populists have gained more sway as well. But also, people have have seen what it looks like to give up this power. For much of my life, and don't forget, I'm a a pretty young man. I'm fresh and virile and young. So before I was even a glint in my father's eye, Republicans were much more confident wielding power. Republicans were much, uh, much less under the sway of the libertarian notions of just giving up all the government power. But for much of my lifetime, we said, no, we just want to give up power. We don't want the president to have a lot. We want a very weak president. Well, okay, what does a weak president mean? It doesn't mean that power goes away. A weak president means that the power goes elsewhere. Where's the power going to go? Is it going to go to Congress? No, Congress doesn't want power at all. Congress doesn't want responsibility. That's why Congress gave away its power to the independent agencies. So where does the power go? The power goes to the bureaucracy. And the power goes to bureaucratic agencies specifically that don't have a lot of presidential supervision. So it's not as though the president gives up power and then all of a sudden the people get more power, whether through their elected representatives or the appointees of the president. No, the president gives up power and it just goes to completely unaccountable, unelected bureaucrats who are overwhelmingly liberal, who cannot really be brought under any particular control, and who have a bad vision of the country. So what the populists have realized is something that the traditional conservatives have long understood, and it's something that the GOP is finally beginning to deal with, which is the power is going to go somewhere. Do you want the power to, to go to the bureaucrats? There are many worse places for power to go than to the US president. And this is a trend, by the way, that you're seeing not just in the United States, but all around the world. Now, when you want to travel all around the world, how do you do it? Sometimes you're going to take a car. That's why you got to check out CarZing. Right now, head on over to CarZing.com slash Knowles. Buying a new car can be a stressful experience for anyone, especially if you're a first-time buyer or have no credit. Before you walk into a dealership and spend the entire day with the crowd's stress and potential to not even find the right car, you got to check out CarZing. CarZing is completely changing the way you buy a car online. By partnering with credit agencies, lenders. And over 25,000 dealers nationwide, CarZing provides you with everything you need before stepping foot onto a dealership. Once you find the right car for your ideal budget, all you've got to do is bring your saved deal voucher with you to the dealership to finalize your next ride. Super simple. Even if you're not in the market for a new car, you should check out CarZing anyway. CarZing's online window shopping experience goes beyond mere images. You dive deep into each vehicle's specifications, features, and performance capabilities. Zoom in, on the craftsmanship of the interior, marvel at the cutting-edge technology. Check out all the great stuff about these cars. Carzing helps make your experience faster, cheaper, less stressful. Go to carzing.com slash today. Find the best deals near you. That is carzing.com slash Serendipitous timing with this new indictment of President Trump, because it all surrounds January 6th. And who is the face of January 6th? You know. You know, You remember. There's one face that sums up January 6th, and it's the man in the red, white, and blue face paint with the furs, shirtless, and the horn hat on. That's He is Mr. January 6th. And coincidentally, that guy just got out of prison, got out of his halfway house, which he went to after prison. And he has sat down for his first long sit-down in-person interview And he happened to do that with yours truly With your favorite podcaster That man's name is Jacob Chansley You remember him, the horn hat guy The insurrectionist, the QAnon shaman Well after January 6th, the worst day in the history of our sacred democracy Jacob was thrown in jail For over two years I sat down with him Here's a little teaser of what we talked about You were in Um, solitary confinement for for ten and a half months Ten and a half months That seems like torture I experienced some miraculous things In solitary I'm freaking out I'm in a cell. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what the hell? And I had a Bible in my hand. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close my eyes and I'm going to open this Bible. And I'm going to point to a random verse with my eyes closed. And I need you to speak with me. So I, I close my eyes. I open the Bible. I point to a random verse. And the verse was, I am yours and you are mine. I have redeemed you and called you by name. O Jacob. Oh, yeah. The full version of this episode. Cleaned up, you know, we clean up the audio a little bit. This the full, I think it's like two hours or two and a half hours of this episode. will be on the Michael Knowles Show YouTube channel, and it's coming out soon. I think it's actually coming out later today. Now, this is the, the version that will be cleaned up for YouTube. We had to take certain things out, or the whole episode would go down on YouTube. If you want to catch the completely- uncensored, raw, we talk about everything version, then you've got to do that on the Michael Knowles Show podcast feed on RSS and on the Twitter page, at M. Knowles Show. There are going to be some extra conversations in there that that YouTube will not allow. So go check out that uh, long interview. It's coming up later today. This movement for populism, this movement for greater representation of the people— this movement for more of a mixed regime in keeping with the classical conservative tradition, that is not just happening in America. It's happening all over the world. Spain right now might have its first properly right-wing government since Francisco Franco. This coalition involves not just the center-right party that's been prominent in Spain for a while, but also the populist right-wing party. That would be the Vox party, voice according to the associated press so it's a left wing outlet take it with a grain of salt but according to the associated press the vox party manifesto is virtually quote a copy and paste of the tenets of the franco regime the franco regime was the right wing regime that that beat out the communists from taking over spain and stopped the communists from murdering priests and raping nuns one of the most wicked evil political movements we've seen in modern history uh, those those Spanish communists. Franco comes in, beats the communists, restores basic order to Spain. Though he was an authoritarian ruler, and uh, but he, he wasn't he wasn't a totalitarian. He wasn't some terrible, awful, rotten guy. He he beat the terrible, awful, rotten guys, the communists, and uh, he maintained power until the 70s. After that, Spain democratized a little bit. But what happens? Uh, So often in the name of democracy, you just see this imposition of ever more liberal government with less representation of the people, less respect for traditions, and upending of the society that most people want. And so now you're seeing a return of more of a right-wing party. It's a reminder that right-wing populism is popular. Trump did not just accidentally win. That this is how the liberals around the West want to write the story of the 2016 election. Oh, Trump only won. Trump just won because Hillary was particularly unpopular. It was a total fluke. That's the only reason that guy managed to squeak by is because Hillary was uniquely unpopular. Okay, sure. Then how do you explain Brexit? How do you explain Brexit an expression of the same popular right wing sentiments in the UK that we saw in the 2016 election here at pretty much exactly the same time. How do you explain? Well, the Brexit, you see, it was because of dishonest right wing propaganda campaign. It was a total fluke wasn't supposed to happen. Okay, Brexit was a fluke. How do you explain the election and popularity of the right-wing government of Viktor Orban in Hungary? Well, that, that, was, a, that was also, that was just a fluke. Okay, how do you explain the victory of Georgia Maloney, who at the very least campaigned as a right-wing populist leader in Italy? Well, I don't know, that was also a fluke. How do you explain the election of right-wing governments in Sweden? How do you explain, well, I don't know, that was also, okay, all right, I guess it's all, wow, it's all a fluke. So, all just an accident because of these particular circumstances that's been happening at exactly the same time throughout the West. I don't think it's a fluke, guys. I think this is a civilization wide phenomenon because of a too long experiment in liberalism that, often in the name of democracy, has undermined democracy, and more important than that, has undermined the pillars of our foundation, the things that we all really value family order, justice, culture, beauty, truth. We're not even allowed to speak the truth on some of the biggest communication platforms in the world right now. We're not even allowed to speak the truth when we go to our schools, when we go to our jobs in the government. We're not allowed to question the ever more capricious and corrupt leaders of our our liberal governments. It's a civilization-wide phenomenon to say, wow, whenever we threw out tradition in the name of some bright progressive utopia. We threw out the baby with the bathwater. I'm not even sure we threw out the bathwater. I think we might've just thrown out the baby. And so the West is waking up. Now, the people very clearly are on the side of tradition, on the side of order, on the side of just being normal, okay? The question is, do the people have sufficient political power to overcome the liberal regime? In 2016, we did, though not for very long. In the Brexit. The people did, although the liberal regime was able to really water down that Brexit and gum up the works for a long time. In Hungary, actually, it has fared pretty well. In Italy, not so much. Brussels has reimposed a lot of its will, even on a popular right wing. So this is a live political issue, but you can't look at the 2024 presidential race in America outside of that issue. When people say, gosh, why can't we just go back and have a, a kind of early 2000s style Republican candidate like Mike Pence? Why can't we just go back and have a kind of 1990s, 2000s style Republican candidate like Asa Hutchinson or Chris Christie even? Chris Christie, frankly, is even kind of hip to the jive for that sort of stuff. Or like, I don't know, Tim Scott or somebody like that. Why can't we do that? Because that's not the time we're in. That's not what's motivating right-wing politics. It it is not a cult of personality around Trump as the liberals and the never-Trumpers want to pretend that it is. This is a broad movement throughout the entire West. And you can deny that if you're an establishment, kind of squishy lib type, you can deny that all you like, but it will be to your own detriment because this phenomenon is not going anywhere. Now, speaking of Chris Christie, speaking of politics overseas, Chris Christie did not show up to the Tucker Carlson Blaze Media candidate forum last week. Trump didn't show up. Christie didn't show up. The other candidates did. Some of them did very well. Ron DeSantis did very well. Nikki Haley actually did pretty well. Uh, Some of the candidates did very poorly. Mike Pence didn't, didn't fare very well there. Asa Hutchinson got completely obliterated. But Christie now, he is playing armchair quarterback. Chris Christie is trying to play a little catch up here. And he's, he's going on television to say what he would have said had he shown up to face Tucker's questions. You weren't in Iowa, you weren't at the Tucker Carlson uh, Forum, but if you were being pressed on Ukraine like that, how would you have responded? I would have said, you've always been wrong about this, Tucker, and you're still wrong. That in fact, what's going on, George, is that this is a proxy war with China. The Chinese are funding the Russian war by buying Russian oil. They're coordinating with the Iranians to provide lethal weapons uh, to the Russian army. And we could decide when to have this conflict. Right now, the Ukrainians are willing to fight this fight for themselves if they have our support to be able to win it. Um, if the Chinese watch us back away from Ukraine, as Tucker Carlson and others would uh, advocate, believe me, the next move will be Taiwan. Yeah, that's what he would have said. And boy, that would have played really, really well. Can you imagine, had had it been the case that Chris Christie had shown up on Friday and actually faced, Oh man, that would have been something else. This is just a real-life expression of the family guy bit about Italians speaking in the hypothetical. There you go, being confident, like an Italian guy in any given theoretical situation. If that was me, I'm just saying, if that was me, they are lucky that was not me. Because if the circumstances were such as you have described them, but with me in them, that's a very different and scary outcome for those involved. If... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to a T, not just describing Chris Christie, but a broader subset of the Italian-American culture. This is, maybe some of you didn't grow up with children of the Mezzogiorno in your communities, but this is exactly how Italian-Americans talk, especially around you. Now, listen here, had I been there that night, oh boy, you should you should be thrilled that I wasn't there that night, because what would have happened then now, I don't need to prove any of this uh, practically because I'm not gonna, I well, wasn't there. But had I been there, oh boy. And it's totally right. And that's what Christie's doing. Well, the question is, all right, T- uh, Christie, if you're so confident, if you got such a good answer, why didn't you show up? <laughs> you didn't show up because you feared that Tucker was going to obliterate you, which he would have done. And I'm not even making this observation as a criticism of Christie. I'm actually paying a compliment to Christie. Christie's a smart politician. Christie knew that he had basically nothing to gain by showing up for a one-on-one with Tucker Carlson, and he had a considerable amount to lose. Christie is a smart politician. I have long predicted that he could have a moment in this race, especially if Ron DeSantis is unseated as the number two guy. And so we all all wait on the croissants, the croissants. And for now, Christie's going to back away. He's going to give up the opportunity to make gains in the polls, which in Iowa with Tucker, I don't think even really existed. And he's going to preserve his 3%, and he's not, going to, he's not going to lose his support, as we saw happened with Asa Hutchinson and Mike Pence. Both of whom took that risk with, I don't think, a lot of potential upside, and they got absolutely crushed. But this is the issue. This is, the, this is then the other issue for Christie. He's playing it safe, and when you get 3% and you play it safe, you're going to lose. Now, he might be trying to play it safe while the other candidates play risky so that he can gain their support and just steadily increase in the polls. The problem is Asa Hutchinson and, and Mike Pence aside, all the big players are playing it safe. Ron DeSantis is playing it safe. Donald Trump is certainly playing it safe. That's why Trump didn't show up in Iowa. Because what did Trump have to gain? Maybe he could have taken a little bit of support. Tucker kind of likes Trump. But you remember during the Dominion lawsuit, you had those texts come out from Tucker that showed that Tucker was really frustrated with Trump. And he he criticized Trump on some occasion. And Tucker is known for just going after anybody that he's interviewing just about. And so I think Trump made the calculation, all right, I don't have a lot to gain and I potentially could lose part of my 30 point lead right now. So I'm just not going to show up. I'm going to play it safe. Ron DeSantis, broadly speaking, is playing it safe in this race. He's running as as Trump 2.0. I'm like Trump. I've got all the good qualities of Trump, but I'm going to implement policies a little bit better. I'm not going to step too far out on any of these contentious policy areas. You see this especially in Ukraine. Ron DeSantis is trying to straddle this line on Ukraine. Well, I want to pull some funding, but I don't want to totally back out of of our support for the war. And he's he's just playing it safe. I get it. He's the number two guy. But you know what happens to the number two guy when the number two guy plays it safe the whole time? He comes in at number two when the number two guy plays it safe for the whole campaign, he's going to be the best loser. And that is doubly, triply, quadruply true of the number three guy and the number four guy, the number five guy. You know, the one candidate who's not really playing it safe right now is Vivek Ramaswamy. And Vivek Ramaswamy went from 0%, nobody ever heard the guy's name, to now number three. And who knows, he's even making some threats at becoming the number two guy in the race. This is a businessman, never held public office. He's like 12 years old. You know, Vivek is 37 years old. He's got a name that is not particularly well-known in American politics. He's got this Indian name. He's a Hindu. He's, He's come out of completely out of left field. But because he's taking risks and he's speaking openly and he's addressing issues in a, in a way where he doesn't back away, S- some woman comes up and starts yelling at him during his campaign event. He says, Hey, give her the microphone. Let's talk. Let's have a debate. He's really putting himself out there and he's doing very well. If, if any candidates want to take on the big guy, if they want to upset a race that seems to be pretty solidly locked in with the number one guy at a 30 point advantage, they're going to have to play it a little bit less safe. But nobody wants to be the first one to do it. And so what you're seeing is maybe what ended up happening in 2016, which is everyone just kind of bides their time, bides their time, bides their time, and eventually Trump is the nominee. You know, folks, men and women are different. This is, it shouldn't be a brave thing to say. This shouldn't be social. But men and women are different, not just physically, but at a deeper level as well. And ironically, the more the libs try to erase those differences, the more pronounced the differences become. Holding on to those sorts of facts and understanding them is essential. That's at the heart of Dennis Prager's new episode of Prager U Master's program. In this series, Dennis is sharing 40 years worth of hard-earned wisdom as he explores all kinds of topics, how to be a good person, hurdles to happiness, the case for marriage. But this new episode is extremely important because the more men and women understand each other, the more they will be able to accept and appreciate their unique differences. Very fun episode. You don't want to miss it. Head on over to DailyWirePlus.com. Become a member and watch Prager Use Masters program today. My favorite comment yesterday is from Alec Mans T six two nine, who says, "Don't underestimate how sexy the sex robots will be." Best Michael Knowles quote ever. Thank you. I, I, I hope that goes into some compendium of all of my greatest bits of wisdom. Do not underestimate how sexy the sex robots will be. It's very easy for us conservatives to mock the idea of all this. But even beyond sex robots and sex stuff generally, which is the sauciest and most titillating, which is why it dominates the conversation. But even beyond that, just think about the other pleasures of the modern world. The food, the relaxation, the leisure, the comfort, the clothing, even all of it. It's all really nice and tempting. And then you think about even food that's bad for you, The food in this model, it's so cheap, it's so sweet, it's so fatty and greasy and nice and juicy and tasty, it's very hard to resist it. And then we become become big fat slobs and we eat all the chemicals that turn the frickin' frogs gay. And, you know, these things happen because it's hard to resist temptation. And I I fear sometimes conservatives, we talk about temptation in the abstract— We say, oh, everyone's falling into the temptations of decadent liberal society, and we shouldn't do that, be it on pride, be it on gluttony, be it on wrath, be it on weird sex stuff, be it on sloth. But there's a reason that people fall into temptation. Temptation is tempting. Speaking of vice and sin and accusations about all that stuff, And speaking about the primaries, this time the Democrat primary, Corrine jean spokesman for President Joe Biden, has responded to Bobby Kennedy's viral clip. You remember, we played it on the show a couple days ago. In the clip, Bobby Kennedy was being recorded at what seemed to be a semi-private dinner where he said that there's a real concern now about ethnically targeted bioweapons. And there's one theory about COVID, which is that COVID targets certain ethnicities more than others, and so it's COVID is harsher on white people and black people, and it's less harsh for East Asians and Ashkenazi Jews. And so that's and no one really knows why that is, but but uh, there is the scientific theory out there. That's what he said. As a result of saying that, he's been called an anti-Semite. He hasn't been called Sinophobic quite as much. He's called an anti-Semite, a racist more broadly, a maniac, a kook, an evil, vile Nazi person. And the spokesman for the president has called him vile. The claims made on that tape is false. Uh, It is uh, vile. And uh, they, put our, uh, they put our fellow Americans in danger. If you think about uh, the, the racist and anti-Semitic uh, conspiracy theories that come out of, of saying those types of things, it's, a, it's an attack on our fellow citizens, our fellow Americans. And so it is important that we essentially speak out uh, when we hear those claims made more, more broadly. Okay, notice how vaguely she's speaking right here. She's speaking vaguely because what she's saying is not true. She is saying that what Bobby Kennedy said is not true and it's vile and it's anti-Semitic and it's racist and it's terrible. What did Bobby Kennedy say? Bobby Kennedy said there is a concern about ethnically targeted bioweapons. That's true. That's been in scientific journals and in popular magazines and newspapers for years now. That there is a concern that governments are developing these sorts of things. That claim, true. What's the next claim? Bobby Kennedy said, there is a theory that COVID targets some ethnicities over other ethnicities. That is also indisputably true. What he's referring to is a scientific paper published a couple of years ago by a real medical journal, by a real scientific journal, that said that because of some particular aspect of ACE2 receptors and how that relates to the COVID virus, white people and black people are more susceptible to the virus than East Asians and Ashkenazi Jews. That just is true. That's it. And if Bobby Kennedy had said the Chinese and the Jews are ganging up to uh, craft a bioweapon to take out all the black people, there would not be evidence of that. That would not. That, I guess then Corinne Jean-Pierre could go off on her rant. But in terms of what Bobby Kennedy actually said on that video, the claims he made were relatively modest and indisputably true. We went through the scientific paper on, on the show the other day but it has to be vile. It has to be awful and terrible and racist. And okay, why is the White House saying that? Well, because Bobby Kennedy's pulling 19, 20% right now out of the Democrat primary field. Almost certainly Biden will still walk away with the nomination, but it's a threat. And so it's not unusual to have a political opponent smear the the other politician in order to gain electoral advantage. What's even crazier though, is that Bobby Kennedy's sister, Kerry just came out and said basically the same thing. Kerry Kennedy said, quote, I strongly, all caps, I guess she learned how to tweet from Trump. I strongly condemn my brother's deplorable and untruthful remarks last week about COVID being engineered for ethnic targeting. Again, just to point out here, you might say the scientific study that Bobby Kennedy was referring to is not an accurate scientific study. I don't know. What the hell do I know about scientific studies? What do I know about ACE2 receptors? I don't know. I'm just, but- You cannot say that what Bobby Kennedy said was untrue in that he merely observed that there is such a scientific study that was published in a scientific journal. How can you say that that is not true? And why is it deplorable? Why is it deplorable? I thought we were supposed to follow the science. How is it deplorable to bring up a scientific study, even if maybe the scientific study isn't true? I just don't know. I haven't seen any evidence that it's not true, by the way. Now, there are other scientific studies that raise questions about the meaning of that scientific study. We went through those on the show the other day as well. But how could you say that? I hate to defend Bobby Kennedy. I know some people on the right really love Bobby Kennedy now because he's skeptical of the vaccines, and we were all rightly quite skeptical of the COVID vaccine. But- Bobby Kennedy is a liberal democrat. I'm not I'm not like campaigning for Bobby Kennedy. Some people say, "Well, you know if the Kennedys were around today, they would be Republicans." That's not true, you know. We know that's not true because the Kennedys are around today and they're and they're Democrats and they're libs, and they campaign on all sorts of lib issues, and they're totally bought into the climate change nonsense, you know, world is going to end agenda, and they're broadly speaking pro abortion, and they're broadly speaking in favor of redefining marriage, and they're broadly speaking in favor of all the other sorts of silly lib policies, taking away our guns, all the rest of it. So I'm not, please don't sign me up to be the campaign manager for Bobby Kennedy, or any other Kennedy, or any other Democrat but I got to call it like I seize it. I gotta, I've got to be truthful here. And the truth is in the, in the modest claims that Bobby Kennedy made, he didn't say anything that was wrong. And Karine Jean-Pierre, White House Press Secretary, and Bobby Kennedy's sister, activist liberal Democrats, they are saying things that are wrong as they usually do. What's the takeaway here? The takeaway here is that for liberals, no bond supersedes political convenience. No bond. Certainly not the family. They've spent 100 years trying to destroy the family. And they've had great success doing that. So Kerry Kennedy can throw her brother under the bus easily. A Biden can throw a Kennedy under the bus easily. Even a Kennedy, even this is the first family of Democrat politics these days, they can do it for the liberals. No bond supersedes it. This is why you always see the liberals put out these, these stupid advertisements and videos before Thanksgiving to say, here's how you can scream at your Republican uncle at Thanksgiving. Hey, you want to have a good Thanksgiving? Here's how you can you can ruin dinner by talking about healthcare or some fashionable ideology that we're not allowed to talk about on Big Tech. Or here's, a, here's how you can bring up immigration at the Christmas table and ruin Thanksgiving. Why do they say all that? Because they don't think family matters all that much. I disagree with much of my family on all sorts of issues. But when I go to a family gathering, I don't, I'm not there to win some stupid partisan political debate. I'm not there to convince them to vote for some Republican candidate. I'm there to be with my family and do family stuff because like, that's really important. And as a practical matter for much of my life, that's much more important than whatever political issue du jour there is. For the libs, they don't believe that. The libs want you to stop talking. Once you scream at your Republican uncle at Thanksgiving, they they want you to stop talking to him. They want you to ostracize him. They don't want you to talk to or hang out with your parents. They don't want you to be really close with your husband or your wife and be in an indissoluble bond. That's the basic building block of society. They want you to be a completely atomized individual, strong individual with no particular ties to anyone other than to the regime. Today's Woke Wednesday, baby. The rest of the show continues now. You do not want to miss it. Become a member. Use code Knowles, K-N-W-L-E-S, at checkout for two months free on all annual plans.